Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We now return to Two Girls, One Podcast, the weekly audio transmission that, when auto-transcribed by robots, always yields pages and pages of nothing but eggplant emoji for some reason. And now here are the hosts who are always accessible via Patreon. Hint, hint. Alison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford. Hey friends, I'm Allie. And I'm Lindsay. And we are joined by Matt. Shh, don't say anything, Matt. Mm. And we are Two Girls, One Podcast. And every week, we mm-hmm. look at internet things. Mm-hmm. And today's episode is very exciting. I am thrilled beyond belief because... We say it every week, but it's true. It's true. Uh, it's true. But this week, it's really, really true because this week... Our guest is here to talk about internet accessibility, which I am embarrassed to say I literally have barely ever thought about. Like literally only when I think about Stephen Hawking and when the computer at the library talks out loud because someone who is hard, like who has visual impairment is there. Those are the only two times I've ever even thought about internet accessibility. Yeah, yeah. And me... That is the sad, we are the problem. We are the Mm -hmm. problem. Because we just kind of go use it and that's that. But uh, the internet is wildly inaccessible as far as I know. (laughs) Um, But the reason in particular we found him was, I was reading a really interesting article about how Airbnb has finally added that to its listings where you can search by accessibility. And I was Mm. like, oh, holy shit, right? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like all these things we use every day. And so then that ignited this conversation over at Two Girls One Podcast. And we're kind of culprits as well. I mean, something I want to talk to him about is like, unfortunately, it can be expensive. Like our episodes should all be transcribed for deaf people. That's what should happen. Right. Mm-hmm. But we'd have to have someone on. Hey, patreon.com slash 2G1P. If you want to <laughs> see us be more accessible. But seriously, you know, we'd have to pay someone every episode and it's not in the current budget. But um, yeah, but there are but a we lot of, should talk about yeah. it. There are ways to do it. Yeah, there are services that will do it. But you have to, you know, you have to pay for it, which is fine. We just have to figure out how to make it happen. Well, his story is so interesting. I can't wait to hear all of it. But he, um, you know, I think was a coder and got very seriously injured and then went down this new path and runs accessibility hackathons and a lot of really interesting stuff. I believe his company also makes plugins, which is awesome because that's making accessibility accessible, right? You just put this plugin in and now your site has an option to make the font long larger for mm-hmm. people who have visually sight impaired. issues, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So really interesting how he is making accessibility more accessible and super excited to hear about, 
you know, these hackathons and this community that he's created and all the issues that I'm sure we haven't even thought about. Yeah. As we were like looking into getting ready for Ather, who is our guest, I was thinking about the first time that I was really aware of differently abled people, you know? And the first two times that it really, really spoke to me were obviously Helen Keller. Like we all read The Miracle Worker. And if you haven't, like, what is your elementary school doing? But like, (laughs) You know, that was so powerful, but it's, I sort of feel the same way I feel about um, Black exceptionalism, which, you know, I am, I grew up in a family where Black exceptionalism was the only option. And the Helen Keller story is sort of that for people who are differently abled. It's like, okay, so I have to be Helen Keller level of dedicated to to freaking make it in this world at all. Mm. That is wild. That's Mm. not normal. Mm. And it's honestly not attainable for most people to have that kind of drive and, and dedication. Um, but anyway, the miracle worker was amazing. And uh, obviously Helen Keller is amazing. But the other time that I was first aware of, you know, what it, how difficult it must be to, to go through the world without full access to something like full sight, full, you know, ability to walk with both legs or, you know, something like that was this movie called wild hearts can't be broken. Did either of you see that movie? No. No. Oh my God. Okay. Go on. (laughs) I love this movie. It's about a woman who is a horse diver. So like, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> what we're talking sea, seahorses? <laughs> like she goes down under the water with the seahorses? Is that, that's okay. what I got. So like at state fairs and Wait, circuses or whatever. Tell me who's the guy in this movie? I don't know. He looks like Matt Dillon, but I don't think that's who it is. Wait, now I think maybe I have seen this movie. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the, I think the woman in it is Brad Paisley's wife. Um, this is very, I'm that so helps. sorry to all of the listeners. <laughs> I, I truly am. I, I truly am. That was crazy. Go, go How on, could I possibly diving. expect let's you all t- to let's know focus who on horse diving. Brad Paisley's wife is. Okay. So basically she is like jump. Oh, it's the guy from the Rocketeer. I think that's the, the <gasps> lead. I think it's the Rocketeer. Now Matt's invested. Tell I'm us ready. about horse I'm ready. diving. Oh, I'm, I'm, wait, just very briefly, I'm very fascinated by The Rocketeer because it's a cool, great movie that tried to be uh, in the Indiana Jones of its time and right. failed miserably. And then that actor, who I thought was very good and handsome and leading man, vanishes off the face of the earth. I don't know what he's been in since, and I find that very fascinating. Yeah. Go on. And he's living maybe, his best life. He's a graphic designer. Don't worry about maybe it. Maybe before the Rocketeer, <laughs> he was in Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken, or maybe it was just another guy who also looks like Matt Dillon. Okay. I can't so, believe I'm the one keeping us on track. Go back to horse <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So anyway, the woman, she is like learning how to jump horses off of a high diving platform and into a pool off of like a 30 foot high platform. So that's her job. At one point the horse gets spooked while it's jumping and she goes into the water with her eyes open 
and then be, and then goes blind. But she is like so committed that or she like misses it. It's the only thing she's ever really done as a job. She loves it. She misses it. So she goes back in to learn, like use her other senses to try to figure out how to jump the horse blind, which is wild. It's like a wildly dangerous thing anyway. Honestly, and then- unnecessary. Yeah. Unnecessary. But I think it's based on a true story. These are all, y'all, these are all the wayward memories of someone who is now in her 30s remembering something she was really into when she was 11. So I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but anyway, well, it's it's very interesting because they go through like how you, it's if you move something in the house where a blind person lives, you could make them fall over because mm-hmm. they have memorized where things are in the house. So you cannot do things like that yeah. and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's very cool. Well, I, as a woman, notice when I am in male-dominated spaces, as a woman of color, I'm going to assume you notice these things as well. So I can only imagine what it's like being someone who is differently abled moving through the world and noticing constantly the way Mm. they are not included. Hmm. Yeah. And also there are so many other ways to be challenged. Like I think that we're most aware of blindness, right? Because there's, there's a lot of famous people who are blind, like a lot of famous singers, Stevie Wonder, Pavarotti. Wait, is Pavarotti blind? No. Uh, You're thinking uh, of, um, Bocelli. Bocelli. Uh Mm. But it's such a, but that, that disability is so like, OMG, imagine what it would be to be blind. Like we can all, we can all close our eyes and understand how hard life would be, but I don't think we think about, uh, other disabilities being, uh, as challenging, right? Well, I think people think about, um, I hate to say this, but I feel like people think of the major categories, right? They think of blindness, they think of deafness, Mm -hmm. but they don't think of the host of other things that I'm sure we'll hear about. Yeah. 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 The deaf community is so interesting. My friend dated a deaf guy and like learned sign language. And it's very interesting. This is a very insular, proud community who doesn't see themselves as disabled. Although, frankly, at this point, everyone, we, you know, as far as I know, we should be using the term different abilities, abled, but they see it as they speak a different language and people need to get mm. off their backs. And it, it's very interesting. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that is. Um, I love, yeah. I, I think that that's, and you know, there are some small representation changes. Again, we're all going to find out things that Lindsay has been into, but there is a guy <laughs> on the challenge who. I believe and in this week's segment of what is Lindsay watching? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but he only has one hand and he has been like a strong competitor on that show for many seasons. Um, and is, and it really, it's the opposite of exceptionalism in a lot of ways because everyone on the show for the most part is very, very fit, but he kind of proves that you can also still be a misogynistic asshole <laughs> and be very, very strong and fall in love with people and have them fall in love with you and only have one hand and everybody like it's, it's sort of the, 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 the part where it's like, Oh, you kind of forget about that, but then is it like good or bad that you're not aware? You know, Mm. I don't know. Should they be talking about it more or is it part of everybody being a part of one community that we're not talking about it? You know, I don't know. 
I think it's kind of good. I, yeah. I, we, someone, maybe it was Ali, made this point uh, in a totally different context uh, on a previous episode about race or or sexuality or whatever. And it was it was in the context of media. And it's like when we can just cast a, a gay person or a person of color as a villain, and it's not a it's not about a uh, you know uh, demonizing. It's just like we're all in, in the club here, and we're all in the same media. So it doesn't matter who is who because we're all here. Everybody's Isn't an asshole. That everyone's yeah. an asshole. Isn't that the world? <laughs> isn't that the world we want when everyone can be the asshole that they want to be? I, but in a way, but I, I do like that. Uh, I think. Yeah, I think the same thing. I mean, Ted Lasso. Spo- Ted Lasso. Spoiler alerts, y'all. No! <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people were upset because there was a character who isn't a straight white man who was like kind of villainized. Um, and I'm like, you know, that's real though. People Mm -hmm. just because you're not a straight white man doesn't make you a good person. (laughs) (laughs) And for straight white men, you need to hear this because obviously you don't hear it ever right now. And you feel very, but just because you are a straight white man doesn't make you bad. We don't think that nobody thinks that it just means that people like you are more often in power and have the ability to be bad in a way that affects everyone. Mm, So you need to try hard to not accidentally be bad, but the rest (laughs) of us can be bad on purpose. That is the best. That is the best phrasing I've heard ever on this topic. Thank you for closing the book on that. That was perfect. One thing that I'm eager to learn from our guest today uh, is about the tech because, you you know, we're talking about the Internet and the tech world. And like something that Ali said was, you know, I, I agree when we were confronted with the challenge of transcribing the podcast for uh, 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 hearing impaired people, mm-hmm. um, the onus is 100 percent on us to do that. We should be doing it. I agree. Full stop. But also. It's just not possible and maybe maybe i'm wrong but like to transcribe everything on the internet and to make everything accessible without robust technology and it's interesting to me that like everything that's uploaded to youtube gets transcribed really really well by robots it's not perfect but it it's really very good it's like shockingly good and it's only a matter of time before platforms can solve the problem of there's just too much content well, and not enough. Well, it's interesting that like he's created plugins yes. that will do some of that work. You know what I mean? That's so, what I mean. Right. Yeah. So like, I guess my question is like, there's a scale problem that only technology can solve and we're, we're getting there, but I'd be interested to hear how far away we we are from a technological point of view. That's stuff that fascinates me. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I think it's time for trivia. Today's trivia is about the nonprofit, non-government organization called Hand Angel in Taiwan, which Hmm. helps severely disabled people in Taiwan with a very specific need. What do Hand Angels do that other caretakers and medical facilities do not and cannot do in this region of the world. A. 
and angels go door to door on a weekly basis offering a helping hand to anyone who may need it, but it's understood in the culture that this service is mainly for severely disabled people and the elderly. This includes grocery shopping, household cleaning, handiwork, and just about anything else around the house that a disabled person might be struggling with. People who do not need the service of the hand angels typically provide a donation to the cause when the doorbell rings, which allows the organization to serve more people. So that is choice A, door-to-door hand services. Or is it B, the hand angels work with universities across Asia to build custom robotic hands for people with severe nerve damage who have lost control of their limbs. Some of these cyborg arms are wired into the patients while others use cutting edge technology to uh, control them with things like brain waves or verbal commands. Uh, This sort of thing is not covered by most insurance or government programs. So Hand Angels raises funds from a variety of religious sources in the area. Cyborg hands, that is choice B. Or is it C? Hand angels provide hand jobs to severely disabled people who have no other way to experience sexual intimacy. I'm that going is with that one C. just because oh. I want it to be that one, and that's God. my official answer. Great. Allie's locked wow. in. Wow. I don't play to win. I play to have fun. <laughs> she she pays to play. Wait, what? No. Um I am going to go with the first one because it seems cool and very thorough. Okay. Lindsay goes with door-to-door handiwork. Allie goes with the hand jobs. That's just going to start. He just put that one in there for me. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. (laughs) She took the bait. I mean, we'll find out the correct answer after this break. Okay, everyone, we just want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for donating at the $10 or more level. If you want to hear Allie and I say your names on this podcast, you too can donate at the $10 or more level at patreon.com slash 2G1P. Today, we would like to thank Wesley Cordell, Jerry Duran, Jessica Fox, Kathy Phillips, Matthew Scott, Melissa Elliott, Allison and William. Woohoo! Thank you all so much for donating. You keep this podcast alive. And if you listening also want to keep the podcast alive, please donate anything. It doesn't have to be at the $10 level. It could be literally $1, which is the amount you would pay for a very inexpensive cup of coffee in the middle of the country in 1970. Thank you all. <laughs> Detectives and privatize next door, courtesy of Best of Next Door. Every night, I try to go on my evening walk, and I always see the same all white cat with what looks like a small camera dangling from his neck. The cat is always looking through people's windows or jumping into yards. I am afraid his owner has trained him. 
to record people with his neck camera for whatever reason. Every time I try to approach the cat to grab him, he looks scared and runs away. Seems like he is up to no good and knows it. That cat is... I mean, honestly, the cat is probably doing some good work. It's a sneaky alley cat. (laughs) (laughs) The person stalking the cat might have a problem, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Leave that cat alone. Reminds me of my octopus teacher where everyone's like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. I'm like, he's fucking stalking this octopus. Leave this (laughs) octopusy alone. She doesn't want you. He was like, I couldn't find her. I searched for her everywhere. I'm like, don't. Maybe she doesn't want to be found. I've already ranted about my octopus teacher. I had some issues with that movie. Anyway, is it time for trivia? I want to learn it's, about hand jobs always. It's, it's time. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I do guess love he's your gonna take. listen to this, recommend it, and be like, "Fuck, there's all this shit about hand jobs in there." All right, let's hear it. Here we are. Uh, we're talking about accessibility and disabilities. Uh, the Hand Angels are a nonprofit in Taiwan. What do they do? Lindsay said they go door to door and help out with handiwork around the house to anyone. But it's 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 known. It's understood that it's for people with disabilities. Nobody chose B. Uh, robotic cybernetic arms for people who have lost uh, mobility in their hands. And Allie, of course, took the bait. And uh, said that it is uh, hand jobs for the severely disabled. I'm so predictable. Have no other way. Uh, <laughs> I I know you're sticking, so I'm gonna, I'm Honestly, gonna get right to the I answer. Honestly, I think it's pro- I'm gonna. It's. I mean, I think it might be B, but I'm gonna go with C you for think fun. It's B? I want to. I want to go with C because I'm consistent. Yeah, stick to your brand. The correct answer is it is C. The <gasps> hand angels giving hand jobs. Oh, oh, hell my. yeah! Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Hell yeah! This is from an article in Vice uh, when the Taiwanese NGO Hand Angel, an organization promoting the sexual rights of disabled people, first spoke to Andy. They did a profile of uh, a gentleman named Andy with muscular dystrophy. Uh, they realized the situation uh meant he'd never be able to have a frank conversation with anyone about his sexuality. He was a, he is a young gay man who did not want to speak to his parents about his sexual feelings. So this uh, organization got in touch with him and like smuggled him out of his parents' house to a a motel room. And then these volunteers of (gasps) a variety of sexual uh, genders and sexual orientations to meet the needs of whoever uh, is needed uh came came over and provided the service uh this is part of hand angel's mission not just providing a sexual service but also bringing forth an emotional and social transformation in applicants so it's it's obviously a lot more going on here uh than than prostitution it is uh you know these are people who are locked into their bodies who cannot have relationships in the same way that we can you don't think about it and there's there's people out there doing doing God's work. Wow. So this is like, this is nonprofit sex work. Something yes. this capitalist country could never even imagine. <laughs> wow. Wow. I fucking love it. But we all know that I love it. So I'll leave it there. You know, congratulations for staying on brand, Allie. It really Thank worked you. out it paid for off. you. It paid off. Yeah. yeah. All right. Is it time? Yeah. All right. We are so excited to have our guest with us. Ather Sharif, he is the founder and researcher at Evox Labs. He's a PhD candidate at University of Washington. 
And he works professionally as a software engineer. Someone's an overachiever. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ali. Okay, Ather, we would love to take it back. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? And while we don't want to give you PTSD, can you tell us a little bit about your injury and what happened? Yeah, of course. Um, we'll get right into it, I guess. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Let's dive the fuck in. <laughs> um, so I'm, as, as, as you mentioned, like I'm, a, I'm the founder and researcher at Evox Labs, uh, which is a volunteer organization. I'm a PhD student at the University of Washington, where I focus on creating accessible technologies for people with disabilities. My focus is in the area of accessibility and visualizations and personalization, uh, and broadly just human-computer interaction. All of that comes from the fact that I do have a disability myself. That was because of a car accident that happened about maybe eight and a half years ago when I was a grad student at University of North Dakota, which is not a myth. It's an actual place. Okay, I'm already learning because you're right. Okay, go on. Um, it is very white um, in every sort of way. No. That, that's what I mean. North Dakota? <laughs> didn't know if it was real, but I didn't know it was white. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I was a grad student at the University of North Dakota. Unfortunately, I, I, whenever people ask me about my injury, I, I really wish that there was a more dramatic story to that, but there isn't. It was just a car accident. I was sleeping in the backseat. Um, I was not driving. I didn't have my seatbelt on. It was icy roads. Uh, the car just slipped a little bit um, and fell into a ditch. And I kind of like hit my head on the window, broke my neck and had a spinal cord injury. Wow. Wow. And you were already working as a computer engineer, correct? Or, or you were studying computer engineering? Uh, no, yeah, I was just studying. I was a grad student. Um, I, I was like, uh, I was doing my master's at the University of North Dakota. Yeah. This injury obviously changed the whole trajectory of your life. But how quickly did you like decide, okay, I'm going to also redirect the trajectory of my career based on my new worldview. Yeah, no, that's interesting because it, it changed a lot of perspective for me. I've been in the in the computer science world for as long as I can remember. I went to school for it. That's That was what I wanted to do. Uh, but for all the time that I've been um, developing websites and doing all sorts of computer stuff, I never, never thought um, that there was something called as accessibility. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't care about it much. Uh, it was just a thing. It was just a do good, feel good thing. Mm. So I didn't really think about it that much uh, until I was put in that position. As a matter of fact, when I when I got my injury, um, so for for anybody who's not familiar, a spinal cord injury it can happen at any any part of your spine, and depending on which part of the spine it is, it dictates on how, what what level of functionality do you get. Um, so mine is a little bit higher up. So I had lesser use of my arms and hands and hand functionality at that point in time. And because of that, I couldn't really uh, use my computer anymore. And for anybody who is in the, in, in the area of computer science and domain of computer science, rather, being able to type and being able to type fast is really, really important. I think this is like just something like super inherent to the field of computer science because, you know, you compete a, on that, like, you know, like I should be able to type really fast and I should be able to type, do this and do that and just be able to use the computer in many sort of ways. That was one of the things I lost. Um, and I wasn't able to type uh, at all, actually. I, I, I don't have access to my fingers uh, as anybody else would. Mm. And therefore, I kind of questioned that, is this the field that I want to be in? Mm. Because I wasn't sure. I was like, I can't, I can't go out there and compete with people who can probably do things much faster than me. 
think about in a coding interview or a coding challenge or anything of that sort. Like, I can't take part in that. Like, there's no way I can do that, right? So I debated that for a long time. And then I just kind of realized that I did have the knowledge, which I had been working towards for the longest period of time. I just hadn't seen accessibility that way. Was there a way that I could just use all the knowledge that I have and kind of direct it to make this world a little bit of a better place for people with disabilities, people like myself, people who are for, for whom the, this internet was not created for, you know, this, this whole society is just not equitable for people with disabilities. And could I do something for them? And then I spent like a year where I did nothing but learned how to type again. Yeah. With, uh, with, with my two thumbs that I had, I tried stylus and I had like the universal cuff. It's like a thing like that you tie around your hand. It's like a, a stylus basically attached to your hand. So I tried doing that for a year and then I kind of just like one day just like got really um, fed up of it and just threw it out of the window and I was like, no, nope, I'm just going to figure it out by myself. Um, so slowly and slowly I got to like typing about like 40 words a minute, which is in no way a standard. Um, so if, if there's anybody listening to this who, is, who has some sort of disability, uh, this is not a standard. Mm. You, you, can, you can succeed in this field however you want and with whatever abilities you have. But yeah, I, I got to that point and then I felt a little bit more comfortable, went back to grad school, finished my grad school, uh, master's in Philadelphia. Now I'm a grad student at University of Washington, a uh, PhD student. Amazing. So so you transferred after the accident, you transferred to Philly? Well, it's a surprise, surprise, but there was no rehab hospital in university, at, 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 in North Dakota or some, anywhere close by. Wow. Can you tell us about how and when you founded Evox Labs? So Evox Labs was founded as a volunteer organization when I was a graduate student at uh, St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia with a very simple mindset where it was like, I was already thinking about like, how do I make all of these technology more accessible to people with disabilities? Like, what do I do? Where should I start? And I started reading like some of the academic work on, on, on accessibility, really fascinating work. And then I started to look into some of the industry products that were out there. And I tried to see that disconnect. There's a, there's a huge disconnect between the two. People who were developing all of these awesome things had no idea what, what the researchers were doing. And people who were researching about these awesome things about accessibility had no fucking clue what was going on in the industry work. And I thought that I needed to focus on in bridging that gap like um, between industry and the academia. And it's, it's, it's hard for to kind of sell that idea to someone. So I wanted to do applied research and kind of like bridging the gap between technology and people with disability, which is the, kind of like the slogan that we use for Evox Labs. It started with a bunch of smaller events that we organized in Philly. There was a hackathon that we organized, which became a trademark thing for us. There was the first hackathon of its kind that had happened where we would put people with disabilities and developers and technology experts and medical professionals on one table in one room. The point of that was like, hey, well, you guys don't need to exist in silos. Yeah, you can like, this is all, this is a society. It has to be inclusive. It had to be the definition of diversity. And diversity includes people with disabilities. I think we, we miss out on that a lot. Uh, so kind of just putting everybody in the same room, making them work together so they can like physically interact with people and understand what, uh, how the society has failed us and then build something to fix that or to make it better. As, as we started doing that, it, 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 get, it got more traction. We kind of, you know, like um, organized more hackathons, more conferences. 
got to partner with like-minded organizations in really um, creating that change or at least creating awareness around the fact that well, hey, there are people with disabilities in this world, you know, and they're doing, um, they're just as capable as anybody else. So, you know, you got to work with them on developing things that you think you're going to be developing for them and be, have them involved in every, every aspect of the way, in every walk of life. So, so that was the idea. Uh, it, it was ambitious at that time, but I, I think we did move the needle a little bit. <laughs> That's amazing. So you kind of touched upon this already, but what are the ways that even just the hackathon needs to be designed differently in order to be accessible? Because, you know, hackathons are like an industry standard. So just across the board, how do hackathons need to be redesigned? So before we like started designing the hackathon and how accessible we could make it, we kind of I had to talk to a lot of people get the disability community more involved and kind of just learning about like, what are some of the things that we should do? What are some of the things that we could make it inclusive for other people? Because we wanted people with different kinds of disabilities to be in that room, to be in that environment, to be a part of that hackathon to the, the best they could be. And we wanted to like do play our part in doing that and learn from it and show the world that this could be done. And so for that, um, we had to understand like, okay, well, there are some basic things that everybody should know. That is first thing is that if you're going to bring people who are blind or have low vision, you can't just rely on paper material. So for that, you would either need to make content digital or make sure that there is a Braille printout for people who do use Braille. And so we had to make sure that, that we do provide all of those options. For people who are deaf and hard of hearing, we wanted to make sure that all the promotional videos that we were doing and all the all the audio that we were recording, we we whenever we made it available, we made it available with subtitles or closed captioning and audio descriptions wherever it was wherever we could possibly get that. So for all the promotional materials, we wanted to make sure that that we are doing everything we can to uh, these are just basic foundational things. Then also providing space for people to take a break. Uh, because those events, a hackathon, as as uh, you might know, that a hackathon would uh, go goes pretty much like twenty four to forty eight hours straight, where we, you take a break to kind of go back home to sleep. But other than that, you're you're there like eight a.m. in the morning or whenever, and you stay for as long as you want. So if people are going to stay for that long, then you just wanted to provide uh, uh, that space where people could just go and take a break and not be bothered. And so all of that. All, all of these things, there's so many things in there that we had to consider just to make sure that we were at least at least providing the foundational accommodations. And I don't like that word at all, but um, but that's just how the word, word is known for the rest of the world. But we had to do everything we could to make sure that this event was accessible. We did it uh, several times, so there was a lot of learning for, for, for me as personally as well, uh, where we learned the first time and then we made it better the second time and things like that. I wanted to pivot in here. What are some of your favorite projects, apps, developments that have come out of your hackathons? I was introduced to this diagnosis of Alexia, which is sort of similar to dyslexia, but it's a little bit different. It's hard to make out words. A lot of words are, are, are difficult to comprehend. And what they did was they developed this Chrome extension which is a, a browser extension, just kind of like just install it on your browser. Right? It's like a plugin or add-on or whatever. It was a very simple and elegant um, solution where they would just read the page, match the words to icons, and put the icons next to the word. So 
when people who have difficulty in comprehending words, they would be able to see the icon next to the word to make a better sense of what the word is. That has to be helpful for so many people. Like that could be helpful for people who are visually impaired. Like it's hard to read the words, not that they don't understand them, but they physically can't see them. It could be helpful for people with autism who, you know, are differently abled in their ability to focus and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love that you're also thinking about like how this can be generalized to different populations and different demographics. Yeah, this is this is amazing. And I think that it's kind of interesting because everyone thinks of not everyone (laughs) already. I'm doing it. But a lot of us think of of the Internet as a place as a great equalizer, a place where everybody can be, you know, the same and, and everybody can share very quickly and easily. But this has really highlighted how that's not necessarily true for everyone. But where are the places online that differently able people have built communities and are able to connect? One of the things that you said, and I kind of want to touch base on it, is, is Internet now has every bit of information that we need to survive. Whether it is from our finances, whether that is about our health, whether that is about anything else, everybody goes there to get all the information. Even like everything is now electronic and that's great because we're saving trees, but everything is now online and we use internet for that and we use computers for that and we use digital digital devices for that. But let's just talk about a simple COVID-19 graph, right? It's, it's a visualization. We, we see it. It's a graph. Well, first of all, when I say all this, I'm not talking to people who think COVID-19 is a hoax. So <laughs> That's good. We don't talk to those people either. <laughs> like for everybody else, like for, for all of us, like we go on these websites to check how, what is the situation like in our neighborhood, in our city, how many people are getting vaccinated, what are the number of cases, should I stay home, should I go outside and make decisions based on that. There's stock market trends where I like kind of am able to see how I'm doing financially. But what does that mean, all of that, for people who are blind or have low vision? Mm. If they can't get the information, and I can tell you from the research, that's what my research focuses. What we found was that people who use screen readers, now screen readers are this software that you use to kind of read the contents on the screen. Because the, the, these visualizations are so inaccessible, they weren't able to get the information about like maybe 33% of the time. Wow. At all, like zero, nothing. Wow. This important piece of information that we really rely on to get by and to like make really necessary decisions in our life, if that is just not available at all to people with disabilities in one form or the other, how, how do we call this an equitable world? Right. The pandemic was interesting because we have been like doing everything in person. And then when the pandemic happened, we started doing things online. This is where we start to realize what does it make to make content digital? And what does that mean to have digital content more accessible? And I think that's where we started to connect together because we realized that like a lot of things that we can do online now can be made accessible without there being a physical presence of people. Like for example, we did all these conferences, which was difficult for people with disability to attend and there were like a lot of things that had to be brought into consideration. But we went into a hybrid model where people were able to kind of like, you know, uh, participate online. And we were able to do that through live captioning and other accessibility measures that we all took. So it was kind of interesting because like that's where we started to see the real benefits that everything that we've been saying about accessibility, everything that we've been saying about like this benefits people with disabilities, it has always stayed as a siloed thing because people see 
disability as a dichotomy. Mm. Either you're disabled or you're not disabled, right? But that's not how it is. It's a spectrum. So when people started to explore all of those digital options, only then they started to kind of realize that, hey, well, this actually works well for everybody. Mm. So things that we have been kind of like designing or thinking about only in terms for people with disabilities are actually not just for people with disabilities because they everybody else can benefit from it. As as you mentioned like a little while ago, right? Yeah. There's like one solution can help a lot of different demographics. And I feel like we are talking about this a lot in ways that are like related to gender and race where it's like helping black people literally helps everyone. Yeah. Helping women literally helps everyone and in the same way I think it's like making things more accessible literally helps everyone. There's so many different conversations that happen around the inequities for marginalized group of people, right? We're talking about people of color. We're talking about gender, sexuality, people mm-hmm. with disabilities. We're talking about all of those things. Like to me, they're not much different. The underlying concept is the same. Provide equity to everybody who has been traditionally or conventionally over the past, I don't know, centuries or forever been marginalized. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of fundamental design flaws, what are the major, major things that all the big websites are doing wrong? This is your chance to shit on all of them. <laughs> are you ready? You know, because, for instance, as, as we mentioned earlier, the whole Airbnb thing, like, I, I'm an asshole. It didn't even occur to me like, oh, wow, that's a pretty basic thing that Airbnb could include and it took them years, right? So what are the major things that like every big website is doing wrong? Like in any accessibility conference, people talk about this. Every developer, every person who talks about accessibility and digital accessibility will talk about these two things. And they've been talking about this for decades. It's still not there. Great. Great. That sounds really satisfying for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like if I was somebody who was blind or if I was somebody who um, had low vision, how do I access content on my screen? I would use the software that we call as screen readers. Um, they do nothing but to read the content of the screen, right? And with text, it's fine because it's it's easy to read the text. But what about images, right? How do you describe an image? You can't describe an image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what the developers tend to do is that the developers or anybody who's putting the pictures up will provide an alternative textual description of the image. So when the screen reader kind of reads the content of the screen, it says, okay, well, there's an image here, and this is what the alternative textual description is. Most people, unfortunately, do not put that alternative textual description. It is possible to do that on Facebook. It's possible to do that on Instagram as well. So when you post an image, um, you can go into the settings called the advanced settings, and then there's a thing called alt text. And you can provide your own description to the text, kind of like really explain what is the image and what is in the image. Like there's a lot of education that needs to happen around that area where people need to be aware of like this is something that they should do or they need to do rather. What just blows my mind is that big organizations, news organizations, newspaper articles, everything is online right now, right? So, and they have nothing on that front. Like absolutely nothing. It seems like a a quick sort of thing that you can do to make your site more inviting and, you know, more welcoming for more traffic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, good accessibility measures are good for SEO, which is the search engine optimization, which means that if you put more accessibility measures in your website, 
your website is likely to jump higher ranks on Google or any other search engine that you use. And it's like a thing where like you have to do it for people with disabilities, but it's not a seller point because the seller point is that, oh, no, you're going to have a higher SEO. Mm. So it just like blows my mind, makes it boils my blood whenever <laughs> I come across a website and I don't see an alt text. So like this is the basic thing. This is literally the first thing that you learn about web accessibility. I love that you brought up SEO because I think, you know, all of this stuff is good from a moral and ethical perspective, but unfortunately, that's not how our society works. So I love when there are also reasons that are just good for the bottom line, because the fact is that that's how it'll happen. So are there other examples of how it's actually good for business? People tend to think that their audience or, or their customer base is limited to a particular demographic. They totally just do not consider that like, hey, well, somebody uh, with a disability could come and like access their products or buy their products. So they don't even, they don't really think about that. And I think this is where it all starts. Because when we start seeing that like, hey, well, my customer base and my audience is a lot broader, then, then I would make sure that it is, it is accessible to them. And I think that's where all the other things come in, where like where people are thinking about the search and optimization and all those things, because they're one in the same thing. What are some of the other initiatives that Evox is doing? Because we were reading about, I'm going to mess this up, White Cane, Fawn. Yeah, what are those? Uh, Fawn <laughs> was, was sort of like, uh, was my kind of like way of learning more about web accessibility while giving back to the community where I was designing free and accessible websites for nonprofits. That's what the term FON stands for. So for all the nonprofit organization in Philly, I would take on a project without any cost to them or, and just make their websites uh, and make it accessible as much as I knew how to make them accessible at that point in time. And very quickly, as you can imagine, that that queue grew so much that I could not handle it anymore. <laughs> but right now, we are working on a very exciting project. I'm happy to share that with you all. It's called as Unlocked Maps. Uh, so we haven't started to advertise it yet. So maybe this is the platform that it gets advertised from. All right. Woohoo, you heard it here first. <laughs> so anybody can go on that website. It's called unlockedmaps.com. As a matter of fact, it's actually started as a hackathon in Philly. Not the hackathon that I organized, but a hackathon that I was a part of. Uh, and a really good friend of mine, James, he was the one who came up with the idea of like, well, hey, there's Google Maps, but Google Maps doesn't really talk about the accessibility of the transit stations. So if I were to look at the map and if I were to see which stations are accessible and which are not, and if I wanted to get the real-time data of whether the elevator at that station is working or not. Imagine like somebody who uses a wheelchair, who takes the train every day, shows up at the train station to go to work, and the elevator's not working. What do you do? I don't know. You just don't go to work? You... <laughs> is this a quiz? I don't know. <laughs> you sue the government. <laughs> you do all of that, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's like what, what you can't do much besides to just go home or to find like alternative ways, take a bus or any other kind of public transportation if you rely on public transportation. And then you go to work and you're in all likelihood going to be really late or you might not be able to make it to work on time. And if it's time sensitive, then you might have missed a very important event in your life. So for all of those things to kind of make it a little bit better, we started to design a, a little bit of a map where we could show the accessibility of stations right off the bat. Like green means the station accessible and working if good to go there. 
yellow means okay well the elevators are not working they're out right now so be advised of that so you can kind of like look at it plan your trip accordingly um every time an elevator went out we kind of recorded that information uh and we did that for six different cities so right now uh we're recording information from the bay area uh in california uh we're recording in seattle and washington chicago and illinois new york philadelphia and toronto uh so right now we're 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 trying to figure out a way to make it more available to in other countries such as like Japan or South Korea so it's a very global project for us everybody there is a volunteer um everybody comes and contributes and and um you know take contributes in whatever way they can um it's an active research project for us as well so really excited about it what do you think is the ideal way for startups to start thinking about baking accessibility into their products and services i know you've mentioned some things but you know any guidelines for listeners i think it all starts with education i i think you all need to take a step back and kind of just like restart everything. So very recently like I published this whole post about accessibility 2.0 where I talked about the exact same thing where it's like what we are doing now is we were just putting band-aids and band-aids on top of things, right? We're trying mm-hmm. to solve a problem without even understanding what the problem is. I personally think that we all need to take a step back, unlearn some of the things, relearn some of the things and understand what the struggles are. And really understand what accessibility really means, understand what what we need to do, get people with disabilities involved in that conversation, learn from them, and I think that's where we start. whether you're a startup whether you're a big organization kind of have to get the real education on like what is disability what is accessibility mm. there's a reason why all text is there if you don't know the reason for why all text is needed then i don't think you understand what the problem is i don't think that we advance society so i think as a if anything if it's a corporate social responsibility i think people should pay more more effort towards educating themselves their employees you know have brown bags uh brown bag lunches we're bringing a speaker uh, as an expert and then learn from them and then start to figure out a way to solve that problem but foundationally i would think that yeah start with the all text start with the color contrast start with closed captioning your videos nice i love it how has your work also introduced you to just a broader community working in this space how have you you know have you met people well from your hackathons it sounds like you've definitely met people in real life but how have you just created this community of people working to make tech more accessible for everything that i've done i can't take credit for it all of it you know there's so many other people involved every time we try to do something there are like-minded people out there and as as soon as you put the word out there people tend to come together and to do that together and i have met so many so many amazing people who want to change the world in this in this area who share the same opinion and who want to work together on creating accessible solutions it has blown my mind in many sorts of ways i've had change of perspectives throughout these years um especially when i was struggling with my own disability identity i was just introduced i was just like you know one day i woke up and i was a part of that demographic and i had no idea what to do and i had no idea where to be but just being around in that community and like talking to more people it just given me so much perspective and it changes and it changes even now as a matter of fact like uh, a couple of weeks ago i i i met this amazing person who also is an accessibility advocate and i learned so much and i've been doing this for about like maybe i don't know 80 years now since since i since i acquired quote unquote disability the disability status 
And I am excited about the fact that I get to learn more uh, and I get to develop more perspectives. It has changed the way I think about accessibility. It has changed the way I live my life. It has changed the way I see things. I think about other issues in the society as well. For demographics that I'm not a part of, I am learning how to be a good ally because that's what we ask people to do Mm -hmm. for people with disabilities, right? For people who are not, who don't identify as people with disabilities, we ask them, we request them to be good allies to us. And doing that just by telling people to be good allies, I think that I've learned how to be a good ally myself for other demographics that I don't represent. Yeah. We're we're all in this together. Well, that was a wonderful place to end. And thank you for taking the time. I know it's probably frustrating in a lot of ways, but to speak with people like us and teach us how to be better allies. So (laughs) thank you on behalf of us and hopefully all of our listeners. Yeah. This is great. I think one of the things that we really hope is to elevate these voices of people with disabilities. And we can't do that without you guys. Yeah. So you're doing a fantastic job in talking about accessibility, making it part of your podcast. I love the work that you do. So thank you, really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone, Ather is pretty much a badass, and I'm so grateful to have my eyes and horizons opened by speaking with him about internet accessibility. Yes. Oh my gosh. So many things to learn. Uh, yeah. I was like, I have 3000 more questions, but this is that we have to, we have to go. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed that and learned from that. And I hope that some of our listeners are in positions to make change. I mean, I know we, we all are, but I hope some people who are, you know, actually building the things are listened to this through to this conclusion. So thank you so much. Um, you know, if you're making changes, let us know. You can find me across platforms at A-L-L-I underscore G-O-L-D-I. I am at The Lindsay Life across all platforms. T-H-E-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-I-F-E. You can also join our Discord, discord.gg slash 2G1P. Uh, search for us on Facebook. We finally made a group there. Uh, Two Girls, One Podcast. That's the name of this podcast, if you still weren't sure. And... You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash 2G1P. Please, please, please leave us a voicemail. That number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. And finally, you can email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I know that we have a lot to do to make our podcast more accessible, so we'll be chatting about that behind the scenes. Thank you so much. Bye. New Girls One Podcast is hosted by Lindsay Ford and Allison Goldberg, then uploaded with some alt text that simply reads, Why? I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Additional editing by Avital Ayler. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.